of Holiness podcast with Reverend Carolyn Moore and Reverend Pierce Drake. Join us today as we lean into practical holiness, intergenerational relationships, and supernatural ministry. This is a New Room Network podcast. We're so glad you're here. Let's jump in. Well, hey, everyone. It's so good to be back with you on the Art of Holiness podcast. And I'm, Carolyn, just so proud of us. If people knew in the background, I'm so proud. We're still going. We're still yeah, doing it. We, are. we made it. That's we, right. Yeah, and so um, we're we're so good. And so, hey, the um, you know, last week we had Dr. Scott McKnight on, and a rich conversation. I've gone back and listened to it again, taken more notes, which has been great. And but I also love introducing people uh, to friends of ours, um, old friends for you and new friends for me. And uh, that's kind of where this podcast started. It was like right. all of Carolyn's friends that I had heard about, read about, followed them on something, and got to know. And then today is that, again, although I did get to meet our guest uh, about a month ago for the first time in public. Uh, he was here at the Woodlands Methodist Church for a conference, and we got to speak a little bit. And so when we sat down the week after that to say, hey, who do we want to bring back? Who do we want to reach out to? Who do we want to have a conversation with? Both of us had written down uh, Reverend Paul Lawler. And mm-hmm. um, and so, so excited to have him on the podcast. Yeah, we are richly blessed and that the people we call friends happen to be really awesome, <laughs> really awesome followers of Jesus, yeah. who I'm humbled to even have conversations with. And Paul Lawler is just the best of the best. He is the pastor of Christ Church Memphis, and he comes to this role after 15 years at Christ Church Birmingham. So he had the great a rare privilege of not having to stumble on a different church name when he got to the new church. Yeah, do you think he just like on his business card, he just like, you know, took a Sharpie (laughs) and changed the name of the city, you know, cell phone numbers the same. He'll tell the story in this podcast about casting a vision at Christ Church Birmingham some years into his ministry there um, of just starting over in terms of missions and uh, reaching people who do not yet know Jesus. And as a result of casting that new vision, which he was overwhelmed by while he himself was on the mission field, he saw hundreds of new church plants. I mean, literally hundreds of new church plants and tens of thousands of people come to Christ. So he is in rare atmosphere in terms of fruitfulness. His heart for evangelism is both courageous and contagious. And Mm. he will also use the word in this conversation, confidence. I want you to listen for that word. It's an important one, I think, in terms of finding your own personal renewal of, of, of not just faith, but walking it out, confidence. So we wanted to talk to him about that and about the move of Christ Church to the GMC and about his vision for reviving a heart for evangelism in the Methodist tribe. And we did all of those things in a conversation that was for both Pierce and me, one of our favorites. Yes. An amazing conversation. We hope you listen and enjoy. So let me begin by saying congratulations to you, Paul, and the people of Christ Church for making the choice to join the Global Methodist Church. That is actually the impetus that said, I need to call Paul Lawler and get him on this podcast because I was just very excited to see that development. It's when churches like Christ Church and the Woodlands, which uh, Pierce is part of, join the GMC, that the rest of us feel, it's almost like we feel more permission to catch the vision for just how powerful this movement can be. And so I want to ask if you can say more about how Christ Choice Church made that choice. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, thank you for the question. Delighted to be here with you, Carolyn, with Pierce, and honored by this time. So I want to um, re- I realize that in responding to that question, that I could talk about the practical elements of steps we took. And I, I really, I don't, I don't think I want to spend my time there. I think what I would like to do is talk more about the heart behind the decision. And so uh, our church voted, Christ Church voted by 99% to join the Global Methodist Church after we walked through the process of disaffiliation. And we disseminated a tremendous amount of information 
And there were, in the beginning, four cho choices. We narrowed it down to two. And um, and I, I want to get to just the heart. Um, one, we wanted uh, to be a part of something big. Um, yeah. We were aware that uh, the name Global Methodist is not merely something that's just a soundbite. There's significance to this that really a, a church that's truly global in nature, and we see that emerging daily and will continue to emerge for the months and, and probably for the next few years um, in critical ongoing critical mass. The other thing is theological, but it's rooted, it's gotten into our hearts, and here it is. When we read the New Testament, we recognize that Jesus has a uh, well. Let me begin with. I'm going to begin with Paul. Paul, the apostle, has a heart for the whole church. We see this when he writes a letter to Galatia or Corinth, whatever the case may be. And we're also aware that every time he writes the, a letter, with the exception of the church at Ephesus, churches are in trouble. They're not. They're not healthy. And but the point is, is he's reflecting the heart of Jesus for the whole church. And we recognize as we've gone through disaffiliation and into these processes of affiliation that there are some churches that are very dynamic and healthy. No church is perfect this side of heaven. But we're also aware there are a lot of churches that are hurting. There are a lot of churches that need new direction and new vision and and new catalytic understanding and spiritual vitality sewn into them. And the people of Christ Church, as we were processing this prayerfully, are not indifferent to that at all. We see also when Jesus was writing letters in the, or excuse me, speaking into John at Patmos, his heart for churches that are in trouble or churches that have things that they need to work out, many of them very deep as we're aware when we read the seven letters. But the, but the point is, is that we see the heart of Christ for the whole church, and um, we recognize that when we, we use the word apostolic and reference to being entrepreneurial, we recognize that it's impossible to be apostolic without caring about the entire church. And so the church really reached a what I would call a threshold, that it's unthinkable for us to go independent. It's unthinkable, and I'm not impugning those who's chosen chosen to go that direction, but but we felt in the lens of a biblically informed conscience, and with an understanding of what it means to, to be apostolic, and for God to rekindle apostolic ap, apostolic movement or apostolic DNA among a people called Methodists, that we really need. We it's an, an imperative to have a heart for the entire church. So. Those are really the primary drivers behind that. Now, there are some ancillary things, you know, that we use those classic lines, Methodist or connectional and all of that. But what we wrestled with was the why. Uh, it's mm. not just that we're connectional, but it's, it's the connectional portion having this capacity to rekindle apostolic DNA, to care for the whole church and to move forward. Uh, with nimbleness and planting new works mm. across the nation and around the world. I'll try to give shorter answers. Sorry, but that... No, oh, we... Well, that's... pause on that. We asked you to be here, so <laughs> yeah. we invited your wisdom to the table. And so, no, we want to we wanna hear, wanna hear that. Carolyn's got to follow up, right. and then so do I. 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 Gotta, yeah, I've, I've, I've just got to say, I'm, I'm, it's, I am so grateful that you are answering just like you're answering. These are not the answers we normally mm -hmm. get. And, and, and I'm not talking about, you know, obviously we're not talking about this on this podcast a lot, but this is exactly why I wanted you to be the person to talk about this. And, and, and what I love about it is that you are, you're reinstating a word that has been in my mind, almost lost in Methodism. And that's, and, and really maybe in Orthodox Christianity in the United States. And that's the, the idea of apostolicity. Yes. Um, the the apostolic tradition the um, the that so I just want I just want to ask you to say more about that I want you to say more about that particular piece of how y'all um, spiritual spiritually reasoned through your place inside this apostolic movement. Well, part of that comes out of just a longing, and and mm -hmm. the longing. Um, 
is to be a movement again. And there has, throughout history, I, I know I'm talking to the choir and a lot of the li our, our listeners who are tuned in right now know this. Some may not, but there has never been a, a profound, sustained movement of yeah. church planting, disciple making, apart yeah. from apostolic influence and leadership. Right. And uh, as uh, most people know, persons with apostolic gifting are usually entrepreneurial. They align things. There's a, a touch of the, um, a, I'm not saying they're operating in the prophetic or office of prophet, but there's some of that flavor in their DNA because they are committed to aligning things biblically. Uh, and I'll use the analogy of a ship, and that's aligning the rudder with the understanding if the rudder is not aligned properly, then then you cannot maximize any wind of the Holy Spirit mm. that will blow to bring life uh, through a vibrant pneumatology in the movement. And persons with apostolic gifting often stir, catalyze, uh, propagate the kind of understanding and alignment that creates uh, the momentum as the breath of God breathes upon embers that can be breathed in or moved into a flame so that movement happens. So we we recognize you don't do that by being independent. You don't you don't do that in isolation. You you do that by linking arms with others who are longing for the same synergy and and the well I'll, let me stop there. So again oh, goodness. We'll, you could keep going yeah. and keep going and keep going. I, apostolicity. So, so, so it's it's two things. It's it's about linking arms. You can't do that in a vacuum. You can't do. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God, right? But there's also the sense of of the the timeline that the apostolicity assumes that what we have been given is not ours to mm. keep. It's ours to to pass forward, right? So there's a sentness. I mean, that's what the word apostle means. It means sent one. And so, so we we're we're given. There's just, it's so rich as we talk about this whole idea of joining this new movement. Not only are we uh, with a great deal of humility accepting the role of bringing both orthodoxy and Methodism forward and, and handing it to the next generation, um, but also as sent people, <laughs> not just churches who change the name on their building, but sent out. Mm. Yes, Amen. so good, so good. So I want to I want to stay on this, but I want to switch just a little bit, the perspective. Um, you know, I would love for you, because we haven't talked about this. We have not brought up, you know, disaffiliation on this mm -hmm. podcast. We have not talked mm -hmm. about um, affiliation. You know, obviously, Carolyn has been deep in this, you know, in the, in the WCA and the GMC work. And, and we've just kind of separated those. Our conversation is this. Obviously, um, around our dinner tables, we talk about this and, and we journey through it. You know, I am... You know, it, it hit me the other day, um, preparing for a message, uh, that I am a fourth generation Methodist minister. That that wow, my great granddad was a Methodist pastor, which I've always known, but I've never made the link. My grandmother was the minister of music for seventy years almost, you know. Awesome. That never occurred to me either. Yeah, and then my dad and now me. And so obviously the Methodist movement has looked different throughout throughout the ages. Um, I am someone that uh went, have journeyed through, I, I didn't want to become a Methodist pastor for a long time because I didn't align fully with not where John Wesley visioned the Methodist movement to go, but where the United Methodist Church had landed. Uh, but God began to give me favor and open doors and broke my heart for the church, and so finally became a United Methodist pastor. And so I stood on that stage for us here at the Woodlands Methodist Church on August 7th, and we have two rooms. We have the uh, contemporary, or contemporary space called The Harvest, and then we have The Sanctuary, and Paul, we were just for the Beyond These Walls conference in uh, the Harvest space, where we were, right, uh, a few yes. weeks ago. And I stood on that stage and oversaw the vote in that room and texted our DS, you know, on the main stage in Sanctuary to, we, you know, where we were at, et cetera. And I stood on that stage and wept um, mm -hmm. during that, knowing all too well, this is, we've, we've got to get out. 
This isn't right. This is not just a small thing anymore. We've got to get out. So, you know, you've got a move that you've had, you know, am I right in that? Correct. Yeah, we, I've, I've been here at Christchurch Memphis about, well, actually one year ne- this exactly. week, this weekend. <laughs> so here's where, who, here's, I want you to talk to two groups. Um, a lot of these churches are going through this, are in the middle of it, or just on the other side of it. What do the lay people need to hear that they're not hearing about the journey this is for a pastor to walk through? How can they love their pastor well through this? And then pa- for pastors, um, encouragement, wisdom as you've walked through this season. Um, but first, to the lay people that are listening. Okay, so great question, Pierce. And so um, I think the most important thing, if your church is going through disaffiliation, that lay people can give their pastor is just a safe place to breathe, uh, to verbalize um, some of what the tenuousness of walking this out, because um, you're going to always deal with a percentage of people who don't agree with you. And you want to manifest the spirit of Jesus in that um, and to stay out of anger, anger of man, of people will not accomplish the righteousness of God. And so um, anger can is not going to be uh, fruit producing um, and so you, you want to stay in the right spirit, and a part of staying in a healthy Christ-like spirit is being the body of Christ and caring for one another. And so, and it, obviously, spiritual disciplines and the means of grace—I won't—I don't think I need to address those, but those mm-hmm. are, are given. But you know, putting your hand on your pastor's shoulder and saying to her or to him, "I'm in this with you. I'm praying for you. You're not alone." Yeah, I, I that. I think that gets a lot of traction in the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you lead a congregation that's deeply embedded in its own community, missionally engaged. Now you're ripe for this new season. They have a new pastor. They have a new name. They have a new, uh, surely this has felt like fresh wind and fresh fire for them. Um, what does spiritual renewal look like for the people of Christ Church? In this season, how, do, how does a church re-engage in the work of the Spirit when it's just coming through um, a, a lot of transition? So I appreciate the question. I'm, I'm going to begin by saying a word about the what, but then I want to go into um, kind of the deeper root system of where mm-hmm. we are right now. And so here, here's the what. This is brief. We're in a process of refining, simplifying mission, and then setting goals around discipleship, mission, and church planting. That's in process right now. We've invited the entire body to participate in the process. Now, if I may, I want to go a little deeper. We've made some strategic hires around these things, but but I I recognize that what I just said, many churches do. But... Mm -hmm. If I could take, let me take the submarine just a little bit deeper. Here's what I want to drive at. Underneath that, really foundationally in all of that, we have been calling the body together to pray and intercede. And the way we've done this is, uh, and some of you, some of the listeners, you may be familiar with this, but we've been bringing the body together in what I call prayer summit formats. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and some of you are familiar with. Uh, what prayer summits are, but prayer summits are uh, a prolonged time before the Lord uh, of praying and experiencing, becoming humble, humbled with in God's manifest presence and the lens of experiencing God's transcendence as we begin to pray, humble ourselves before Him in hopes that He will bring uh, a renewal and revival. Uh, to the church. And so that's not a one-shot deal. This is a pattern that we're engaged in. We uh, brought the body together in multiple smaller gatherings in the winter. Um, We just did some training last night, and then we're going to do another wave as we move into late summer and fall. The reason I bring this up is I, I have learned through the years that it is not sufficient, in my opinion, doesn't mean I'm right, 
but it's what I believe and I believe I'm right. It is not <laughs> sufficient merely to do prayer conferences and prayer seminars, that the best way that people learn to pray is to pray. Mm. And so it, it's just getting the body at some for some out of their comfort zone and gathering in community and, and entering into these uh, gatherings that start at nine o'clock in the morning and at three o'clock in the afternoon where we're, we're in sustained patterns of prayer and allowing God to cultivate that DNA, allowing God to bring people to places, the place of discovery that privately I haven't been able to keep my, my focus for five minutes in prayer. But now I'm understanding that as I gather with the body of Christ, that wait a minute, when I have some guidance, that prayer takes on a dynamism and in that dynamism, the time moves quickly as I'm being engaged by God and enjoying fellowship, koinonia, with him and the body of Christ. And we're seeing manifestations of the kingdom in our midst. I believe that this is the key, one of the most important keys other than alignment with the word of God for the rediscovery of vibrant pneumatology among a people or a fresh discovery. Wow. And I, if I might add one more thing, with the brokenness in, we see in our cities and in our culture, we must engage in that which is not only different, not only different for because we're not interested in different for difference sake, but we must engage in the primal pulses of Christianity. As Leslie Newbegin once said, polytheism does not present a new challenge to the church because the church was birthed in an atmosphere of polytheism. And so point is, is that the worship of many gods and paganism and lostness, this is not a new challenge for the church. But what we recognize is that the church was able to engage the culture because she was not moving in a power that was her own. She was moving in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that had been infused out of a desperation that was uh, that fueled their prayer lives that then fueled a vibrant pneumatology for the advancement of the gospel of Christ and discipleship. So um, that's, that's where we're seeking to sow seeds at this time. Mm. Man, that is that is rich. I so the first thing I hear in that is something that I've been reflecting on, as we've all been sort of walking through this process of of separation. And uh, so, in, and in doing that, we learn a lot about ourselves. We learn a lot about what we've been part of and what we want to head toward. And one of the things I've learned about people in our tribe is that we know how. We know how to meet together really well, and we know how to uh, we know how to fight. We've discovered really well. We don't know how to pray mm. together really well. Um, we don't have a culture of prayer that is tribal. Um, there yeah. there are pockets, there are places where churches have have you know kind of worked this into their culture, their their own personal culture. But as but as we're not the Pentecostals, you know, we're not. We don't we don't have that kind of culture in uh, infused throughout in the area of prayer. So I I love that you are starting in that place, asking people. Well, I'm not really interested in whether you're comfortable here or not. I'm just telling you to come and do this and mm -hmm. learn it as you do it. Um, so I'd like to hear just a little bit more about how you see prayer. Um, that that the whole ministry of prayer, how do we build that into the foundation of the next Methodism? The second thing, uh, well, let me, I'll just stop there. And then I want to jump in and ask you one about supernatural ministry, because that's my thing. Now we're talking about my, <laughs> my jam. And so you, you go. Carolyn, I have learned from you uh, and I want to affirm that. Um, but in terms of building um, prayer into the movement, um, I, I would say uh, that it it must be organic. Mm. It must be yes. local, that it yes. cannot be top down, but it's got to get in us. Um, and I, I will circle. I know Dave Thomas talks a lot about this, but it's in I can't help it. It's in my DNA as well. And I may sound like I, I'm just mirroring or par parroting him, but I 
it's just in me. Um, and that is that, that desperation, what do we do with our desperation? And it's, it's healthy for us to recognize the deep brokenness in our culture, the deep brokenness in our churches. And we all know that we can, we can go online and order a, a thousand resources for any problem that we, that we are encountering. But we, we, we also recognize that we can do the same lap in the desert. I'm not, I'm not minimizing good resources. We need that. And I thank God for good resources, as we all do. But there is something, there's a depth that Jesus describes when he's quoting Luke's, excuse me, Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, that there's a depth of the movement of the Holy Spirit wed with the centrality of the gospel. That is an unleashing of binding up of the broken heart and setting captives mm -hmm. free. And we see a broken, addicted culture that I, I believe is crying out for reality. Mm -hmm. And we've got this reality, but this reality has to be, shall we say, we, we, we move with reality in the way that reality is defined, that reality is to be moved with. And we recognize in the pattern of Jesus, and we recognize in the prayers of the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, that there's this divine correlation of intercession and the power of God, the manifestation of the power of God that we, we must step into. I say that out of the, a lens of desperation. So anyway, coming back to your core, I didn't mean to get preachy, but to get no, back to your question, so we're three preachers. It, it really, it really need, it, it must be, it must happen on an organic level. Uh, it, it, yes, we can lead and give voice and we should, but it, but it has to be happening in every local church. Otherwise we won't be a movement. Mm -hmm. it, it, mm -hmm. We're dependent upon God's power. Um, so, uh, pardon me. I, again, yeah. I, I went longer than I should have. Yeah. So, um, Pierce, I'm going to let you go ahead and have the next question. And I'm going to come back because, I mean, this whole business of supernatural ministry and how that that also uh, can be infused into method. Or how, how, just why it's well, you go ahead, Pierce. Isn't that funny how I say you go ahead, then I go ahead and Start. Go, Pierce. Stop. Everybody, me. that is our family. That's our whole family context right there. That's vacation. That's dinner table. That's car rides. That's phone calls. Can I say that? And you guys are normal. That's, 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 that's right. right. Thank, you. Thank you. That's right. Oh man. So in this in this work that y'all have been doing as a church. Um, Here's what I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear you, Cassie. You've done it a little bit already, but just kind of maybe dive in a little deeper. Um, one of the things we've learned on this podcast is sometimes asking a question that's somewhat already been answered um, evokes even a new response and new language and new, uh, new melody of words. And so I'd love to hear you cast a vision for what a Methodist renewal might look like. I want to start with some of what you've already experienced, but what you've been a part of in the movement to plant hundreds of churches, see tens of thousands of people come to faith, where did that spiritual motivation for that kind of work come from? And then pairing that with kind of this Methodist renewal that we're stepping into in this season of the church. Well, I, when, um, when I came to know Jesus, I, I came to know Jesus out of agnosticism as it uh, was in my early twenties. And there were, Paul, we can talk about that. That's my um, story too. So we can later, later, we'll, well, we'll talk about that I, later. I look forward yeah. and I look forward yeah. to that. I, I do. But what I, when God began to ignite spiritual gifts, and, and I didn't even understand everything that was being ignited, um, I, I am a church planter and church revitalizer by nature. It just burns in me, and I, um, so I want to. I need to validate that. That just that was a work of the Spirit. That was not something that I read, although I love reading widely. But it, it's just, it's spiritual. I know that doesn't sound very practical, but just God, something God deposited there. But the heart for uh, church planting that's, and that Missy and I have expressed for decades now, uh, over 20 years ago, I had a brother that kept inviting me to go on an international mission trip, and I kept turning him down. It, I, in fact, I just considered him an irritation uh, because I... This is before when helping hurts. I just said, I don't have time. I'm not going to go paint buildings somewhere. I can spend my time better. And I, even then I was saying, 
I think that's a sinful way to use resources. And he kept saying to me, Paul, it's not that kind of mission trip. And, and but I didn't hear him. I, I had him just kind of blocked out. Well, I finally relented and saw part of it was Missy um, speaking, my wife speaking into me. And I, I married I married a very godly woman. That's a whole nother conversation. And um, and Missy says, I think you need to give I think the Lord is saying something. You need to give this a chance. Well, I got on the plane and uh, one of our young pr- people in our church handed me Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. And so on the plane, I read the first four chapters. And after I'd read the first four chapters, I was like, I, I think whether you like John Piper or not, I'm like, there's a truth here that I I felt very convicted. And I, I realized that there was something here that I there was a fullness of, of a full orbness that I had not been embracing. And then uh, on this mission trip, we're leading people to Jesus with indigenous leaders. Much more I could say about that, but I, I want to be concise. On the fourth day of the trip, I go into this grocery store and I'm I'm talking to a mom and her mother, who I'm going to say a mom in her 40s, her mom in her 60s, and they're behind the counter. They own the grocery store. I'm talking to them, sharing the gospel through an interpreter. Sometimes I cry when I share this, so if I lose it, you can edit that <laughs> out. Um, but I, as I'm sharing Jesus, and I've spent several hours with them, and I asked the mom and the grandmother who've been so fixated if they want to pray to receive Christ, and they say yes. But what I did not know, I did not notice the way this counter was structured. This 14-year-old daughter and granddaughter was sitting behind them. And she stood up behind them and tears were coming down her face. The spirit was dealing with her. And I witnessed three generations coming to know Jesus through an interpreter in a grocery store. Wow. It wrecked me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I walked out of the grocery store hours later. And I'd been reading Piper, and I had, I had just witnessed this. And I said, oh, God, the Great Commission is doable. Wow. Yes. Therefore, I am responsible. Yeah. And that was decades ago. Uh-huh. And I said to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. I will never lead a church the same. And from that day forward, even though I did not know the classical missionary term mobilizer, I became a mobilizer from that moment on. And I went back to my church, confessed my sin and, and said, we're not going to do this the same. Will you, can we work together? And I, I, our church, the church started hosting perspectives. Um, We started studying the scriptures more thoroughly. I quit reading it with jaundiced eyes, recognized how clear the Great Commission is from Genesis to Revelation. And as my friend David Platt says, there's no plan B. Uh, it's the, right. This is the responsibility of every local church. Mm-hmm. And whether you're a church plant and you're running 50 people or you're a church of 5,000, we're responsible. And so I could never lead the same. And so we began to mobilize lay people. And I love this ties right in with our Methodist heritage equipping the laity in how to share the gospel, how to make disciples with simple reproducible patterns. And they began going out all over the world and I couldn't stop it if I wanted to. I mean, that this is Christ church Birmingham. I'm referring to that God got a hold of hearts and, and people began coming to Jesus all over the world and churches began to get planted and, that's still happening. That has not that transcends us. Yeah. Transcends right. me. That's God. So that's so that's the it's yeah, word. it's that transcendence that I want to that's what I really want to connect back to supernatural ministry. Let let's a side note, uh, as you said, you can disagree with John Piper on plenty of things, but he gets missions. He yeah. gets missions. Um, so uh what you know. Lots of pastors 
live their whole ministry careers, they never see a fraction of the kind of fruit that you saw, especially in your years at Christ Church Birmingham, the number of churches planted, the number of lives uh, brought into the kingdom uh, through those ministries there. Um, it seems to me that, that, I mean, there's two options here. It's, a, you know, there's the mental ascent, just wrangle people into the gospel, get them to say yes and, or, and, and feel good about yourself. Um, and, and then there's supernatural ministry. There's what happened in that uh, grocery store. There's this, there's this, this intangible that, that we can't control that, that breeds something bigger than we could have thought of ourselves. That's, that's the thing in ministry that I hunger for most. I want to do something that's bigger than the energy expended, <laughs> or I want to see fruit. That's what I mean to say. I want to see fruit that's bigger than the energy ex- expended to get there. Um, so can can you say more about uh, how you've come to understand the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit, how that connects with a solid understanding of Methodism and how all of that figures into missions and helps to change the way we understand missions. Amen. That's a, that's a great question. The way you framed it. I want to, I want to say that I'm saying this for the benefit of the listener. There's no flattery mm-hmm. in this. Carolyn, I wrote you a note years ago because when I heard you preach on numerous occasion, occasions, I could sense the trans, the transcendence of God. That there, sometimes we refer to that as anointing of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen unless you're abiding in Christ. It doesn't happen unless you're communing with Christ. Now, again, there's no flattery in that. But what I what I'm trying to communicate to the listener is that this is not rocket science. That what what this the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural power of God flows out of communion with Jesus. Jesus addressed this very clearly. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but you abide in me. And he says, this is a key to a dynamic prayer life. And this is a key to producing much fruit, fruit that endures. And so to answer the question, it's really two things, communion with Jesus and then following the revelation of Jesus. Revelation of Jesus, communion with Jesus. And so um, I, I, uh, I also want to cite uh, P- Peter Bellini, Bellini's article that was published on Firebrand uh, back in May. Um, I can't remember the exact title. It's something like uh, Methodists need to rediscover their charismatic roots or something like that. Yep. But I... I I just need to put that as a reference point for listeners to Google that. Go back and read that, whether you're a layperson or a pastor, uh, because he's citing some things out of our Methodist roots and out of the testimony of John Wesley um, that really affirmed that Wesley had a ministry of supernatural power. There were there were people who fell to the ground under the power of the Holy Spirit under his preaching, um, that we we read about in other moves of God throughout history, including Jonathan Edwards, including the Hebrides revival, and others as well. So this this is out of this is a part of our root system as Methodist Christians. But I but I also uh, use the terminology earlier in the conversation that we must rediscover this, and it's. That phraseology is coming out of desperation, as I noted, because our culture is broken and we're not going to information our culture out of the dark hour that we're in. Yes. We need God. Yes. And yes. and so this our our communing with the person of Jesus, you know, our hearts being in places where they're in harmony for God to rest in our lives so that we are walking and living in the transcendent power of God, we have something to impart. Silver and gold have we none, but what we have, we can give to others. And I, I know that sounds like an oversimplification, but but again, this flows out of an abiding life. And then I, I would also say, 
that, that we need to be willing to take holy risk. Um, yes. And I, I'm, I'm, I may be getting a little bit ahead, but we need to rediscover confidence in the gospel of Jesus, that um, to, to rediscover personally uh, what Paul wrote about when he said in Romans 1, I, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for both the Jew and the Gentile. Yes. And I, I, uh, I have permission to quote him. He, Dr. Mike Pascarello at Beeson Seminary uh, told, shared with me about a little more than a year ago, Paul, I am concerned that a people called Methodists have grown ashamed of the gospel. And I, and I, he shared that because we have not placed the appropriate emphasis upon the gospel because it's, it's so counterintuitive to tell of, yes. think of, you know, a, a young couple out of college, they got a couple of kids now and got, you know, a couple of cars, their careers begin to take off. And you look at them and say, your only hope is a naked man hanging outside of town in a, at a garbage dump. That's, that's uh, counterintuitive. Right. But we're aware as people of provenient grace that when the gospels proclaimed that there are those that God is supernaturally drawing to the sun. And we need to, we need to rediscover confidence in the gospel of Christ. So again, I've gone too long. Forgive me. No, uh, oh goodness. No, you, no, you can stop making that apology because it's so rich. It's so good. Let me drop in uh, a book suggestion for the listener. Daniel Jennings has a book called The Supernatural Occurrences of John Wesley. So if you need more, uh, if you if you need more evidence that John Wesley would not have gone in the direction of uh, a social gospel devoid of the power of the supernatural as yeah. his ministry progressed. No, he actually, he, he was in the thick of it, in the thick of it. And there's no other way to even describe what he was doing. I mean, tens of thousands of people showing up to watch a man who's been kicked out of every church. If that's yeah. not the supernatural power of God, I don't know what is. So, amen. Faith. All I have to give you is this gospel, this 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 deep trust I have in this news about Jesus Christ. Um, we interviewed Scott McKnight. Um, for the same for this podcast, uh, just talking to him about his book. Uh, this it's not his book; it's his translation of what he calls the Second Testament, mm. and it's a it is a very rich translation. And in Luke chapter nine, the way he translates the sending out of the twelve um, is is don't lift anything for the path. Mm. That mm. that conveys. A, truly an effortlessness, mm -hmm. which kind of brings me back to, I mean, he, he goes on, don't, don't lift anything for the path, no walking stick, nor a bag, nor bread, nor silver, nor to have two shirts per person. And then he, and then he goes on, he says, and, and so exiting, they went through village by village, gospeling and healing everywhere. Yes. <laughs> That's just so glorious. Good. And there, and their friends is our commission. <laughs> But, but yes. it, it, it does, we know that it's a supernatural ministry when the fruit outstrips the effort. So good. Yeah. That is so yeah. good. Amen. So somewhere I saw you quote Terry Tackle saying, we need a spiritual awakening in the Methodist church, not to save the institution, but to save the lost. Amen. I think we can all agree with that statement, but what does this spiritual awakening of evangelism look like for a Methodist? Well, first of all, the first great question, I think that in order for it to have an expression in Methodism, we've, we need to rekindle a value and equipping in evangelism in Methodism. And I, I, I may sound a little bit like a broken record, 
But this also weds with vibrant transcendence and power of the Holy Spirit because we need to learn afresh to trust the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit as we're sharing the good news of the love of God through the gospel. Um, I, my reawakening ties into something I shared earlier around um, emphasis on the gospel. And I, I'm, I was, when I came to Christ, I mean, I was born again alone in my bedroom. I, mm. I, and my point is that I, I there wasn't when, when Jesus led me uh, into him for lack of better terms, um, it was with great power. I would, I when I got up out of my bedroom and walked into the den, I did not grow up in a church that taught me uh, the vernacular of Christianity. My mom looked at me and said, "What happened to you?" Wow. And I didn't have the language. And I looked at her and said, "I don't know. I only know it's God." I didn't know I'd been born again. I I couldn't quote John three sixteen. But but here's what I'm driving at. That does something to a person. <laughs> That's an understatement. But there's, there's an awareness of the power of the gospel. There's an awareness of transformational power that, that's available in Christ. And, and for, for many in the Methodist movement to, today, there, there are men and women who are walking away, around aware of transformational power. And that confidence needs to be rekindled. And yes. so here's what I'll circle back to is that when we began going to, um, again, several decades ago and planting churches among the persecuted, what I began noticing was the confidence that my sisters and brothers have in the gospel, hmm. uh, the prayer, praying that would go on for two weeks, the fasting that would go on. And then we would go into villages and some villages where, where men and women have never heard the name Jesus and begin to share this good news and spend an uh, you know a day spend a week in this village and watch God honor his gospel mm. and and watch things like and this, this is so counterintuitive watch a hindu priest come to know jesus i saw i've seen that happen more than once wow um, but but the point is is that i i watch my sisters and brothers among the persecution among the persecuted Walk with this confidence, this gospel confidence, this gospel intentionality. This is something that needs to be rekindled in yeah. the West. It's, I would say it's a divine imperative. It's rekindled in the Methodist movement. Uh, a gospel intentionality wed with prayer, a, a confidence in the gospel, a willingness to risk sharing the gospel, to understand that persecution is a part of what's normative in following Jesus, knowing that we're always going to have pushback from some when we share the gospel, choosing to love well and move forward and continuing to love others and in propagating this good news. Um, there are many in Western culture that have an understanding of God, but they do not have an understanding of the gospel. Mm. It feels our, I would submit that. Um, around us, so um, that I, we need to rekindle what we have. I, that's where. That's how I would sum up that characterization. Yeah. So looking at that rekindling, um, let's 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 go a little deeper into that. If you were to be teaching the rekindling there of the next generation of Methodism, that Gen Gen Z and I think, you know, Gen A and Gen B and all the gens that are behind millennials, right? <laughs> all these ones that are coming up. I don't even know what I don't even either. I don't even either. Um, it's really interesting, though, the length of a generation and how quickly that length of generation is, is um, being divided. You know, boomers were, you know, so many years and millennials were so many years. But I mean, you take past millennials and we have like almost three generations in the time that we normally just had one um, in the move of technology and the political landscape and the globalization of, of the context that we live in. So but if you were teaching the next generation of Methodists how to seek out and to see that to see the loss come to crisis, we were just talking about how where do you begin that rekindling for for, for that to happen? Well, that. Again, that's an, another great question. When 
Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to get again, just dive yep. in. Um, I think we are in an era where I am witnessing emerging generations long to be spiritually mothered or spiritually fathered. Now, when I use that term, we're not saying helicopter parents, that's dysfunctional, not healthy, but, but, and I think God is actually raising up spiritual mothers and fathers because I, I witness many who really have a heart for emerging generations. And we we're aware, um, Austin and Maddie that were on this uh, podcast some weeks ago, I know have been very intentional about uh, developing intergenerational ministry. We, we watch our brother Dave Thomas pour into emerging generations. Um, And this is something that's been on my heart for a long time. This is not new. Um, But, but I, I am aware with, with um, emerging generations, there really seems to be a longing uh, to be to be fathered and mothered uh, spiritually, and so I think that's something we need to pay attention to, uh, to be willing to create spaces for conversation and authentic, transparent uh, relationship uh, where questions are asked, but also we impart uh, what uh, the deposit that Christ has placed in our own life to others. Yep. Um, a willingness, uh, a willingness to be transparent in a healthy way, and I say that we all know there's an unhealthy transparent transparency. There's you know something we joke about sometimes called oversharing, mm-hmm. um, but a healthy transparency that reflects the heart and nature of Christ. Um, I think that is reflected when the Apostle Paul says, "Follow me as I follow Jesus." Yeah. Uh, that kind of transparency that can be life giving and life imparting. So that's one thing. Secondly, we need to aim at this uh, wisely as well. Within our own church structures, uh, uh, creating uh, intentionality around internships, uh, fellows programs, residencies for emerging generations uh, that we see promise in and draw that out. Uh, but cr- what I call that, I call that creating lanes in the highway for development mm. and and helping uh, pastors helping church staffs understand that a part of our investment in emerging generations uh, is a part of where we're taking aim uh, for the sake of uh, the health and vibrancy of God's church. Um, and then um, a church plant, I, I, something that I want to encourage, I, I just want to encourage anybody that has the heart for this within church cultures, think church plant teams think uh, the sending out and commissioning of emerging generations um, and creating place and space for emerging apostolics and uh, uh, persons with a plethora of spiritual gifts in the offices of ministry and gifts of ministry and nurturing those, cultivating those, building understanding and equipping, but also with the understanding that uh, we're going to be selfless in sending them out to plant churches, whether it's across our cities or somewhere across this nation or around the world uh, with missional pulses. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I think it's important to build an understanding in the not just portions of church culture, but all of the church culture around this. This needs to be reflected from the pulpit as well. Speed of the leader, speed of the team. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I think... I mean, our listeners and Paul, you mentioned previously that you know you've you've thank we're so thankful you've been a listener of the podcast. But I mean, we can go back to Cheryl Bridges Johns, and we have multiple times as she talked about. You know, the question was, what do you see in the heart of young people today? Where are they feeling it, and what are they actually needing? And uh, the hole in the heart in their in their walk was a need for spiritual mothers and fathers. And I mean, we have run with that. You know, and it's one of those things where it's like the Holy Spirit has been, you know, people we deeply trust, deeply love working alongside. When that becomes a rhythm of an answer, you know, just throughout the years now, you know, you begin to to put to it. And, you know, we're in the process here at the Woodlands, a little behind the scenes of what we're working on or what I'm working on with our team is uh, we're getting ready to launch bands this fall. 
Um, and the great thing is, you know, bands were getting ready to, bands were already being formed at our church without me knowing about it, um, which I'm the pastor of discipleship, discipleship bands. bands. Yeah, that's clarify. a good point. That's a good point. We do have a band called <laughs> Bristol House and that's a music band, but yeah, this is discipleship <laughs> bands. Thank you. And so, you know, talking to Kevin Watson, um, um, I talking to, just learning from him throughout the years, um, and having phone calls and phone calls with him. You know, and even in his book, the band meeting, and the same goes for the class meeting, is one of the things we have run up against in today's context of running those discipleship formational processes, ministries has been the question, is this all this is? Like, is this it? Like, we're just coming together to answer some questions. Like, we're so used to learning that when it's about living and being formed, we think there's it's a less than thing. And so one of the ways that we're combating that and, and answering that is every band that launches and is a part of our church starting in the fall will have a spiritual parent. Wow. And and so, you know, what we're doing, we're creating a simple process, just like the class meeting is simple, just like the band meeting questions are simple. We're creating a simple applicational process. I'm working with Austin on this as well, of what does it mean to be a spiritual parent? Um, what does the oversight look like? And what is the responsibility as you pour into a band of three to five and no more than that? Um, but that spiritual parent is in a band of other spiritual parents as well. So there's camaraderie there to where um, they're walking with each other. And we're really excited about as we begin to pray and intercede and ask God who are our spiritual parents around our church. Um, the When I sit down, I've sat down with more people in their 60s and 70s and early 80s in the last two months to go, hey, we're working on this and your name has come up in prayer. I mean, the tears that have flowed in my office to say, you know, there's, and I keep saying there is more within you to give. Um, You have walked with Jesus and you have a story to tell and um, you have sacrificed for the body and the kingdom of God in ways we will never know, but... If we don't get you together, then a lot of those sacrifices will die with you in the days, in the generation to come. But if I'm going to stand on your shoulders and continue your faithful work, I got to know you. I got to know you, and I got, I got, mm-hmm. I have to have you pour into me. But and mm-hmm. and I'll finally say this: to me, I'm learning this right. Like my little girl, she turns four on Sunday, and I'm just now beginning this. Just now beginning this over the last few months. But I think one of the greatest gifts, and y'all, y'all are both parents, you can speak to this. I think one of the greatest gifts as a parent is to call out the God-given gifts and anointing on your child that they don't yet yeah. see. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, my daughter, um, we got pregnant with her right after my grandmother died, who my grandmother was the minister of music. We named my daughter after her. Her middle name is named after my grandmother, Joanne. Her middle name is mm-hmm. Joe. And Carolyn can tell you, this girl, my daughter at four has a gift of music and a gift yeah. and a love for worship. And um, and that's and I think that is a generational thing um, on her life. So to yeah. begin to tell her, this is why you love music. This is why you, it's Jesus within you. This is why, I mean, y- you want to listen to goodness of God. I, Paul, she has listened to that song every night since she was three weeks old. Wow. And she can tell you the wow. difference in Jen Johnson's version and CC Winans' version and an, at, four. at four. Well, she's been telling you, she's been asking for CC since she was like two. And so, um, but, but yeah, for spiritual parents in the church to hear the story, to share their story with vulnerability, to hear the story of their spiritual children, to identify what's the next step in faith you need to take, and we can take that journey together, and then to prophesy and bless and encourage. Um, I think that not only is the church right for it, I think it's always been right for it, but I think we're in a season right now where um, we're desperate for it. And I think there's there's a renewal happening within it. That's yeah. awesome. Can, can I say one more thing? Just yeah, to absolutely. So with spiritual mothering and fathering and discipleship and the in the lens of equipping young people in sharing the gospel, as well as all ages, um, there's a gentleman named Bob McNabb, ran a missions organization years ago, wrote a book called Spiritual Multiplication. His research demonstrates that the most effective disciple-making movements sharing the gospel are people who are in deep community who are all doing the same thing. Mm. And that research that he's done in that book is rather compelling. And I have 
Uh, I read that probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. But I, I would say that I, I think that that is a real key component for the global Methodist church, for our local churches, and, and everything that we seek to spearhead in gospel-making, disciple-making movement, that our being in community, deep community together in all of this, that it, relationally, discipleship, spiritual mothering, fathering is significant in terms of propagating movement for the glory Amen. of God. That, yes. What, uh, so so re- what we have tended to do is outsource, you know, <laughs> we, we, we outsource our discipleship, bring in the video or, or, um, and, and we, then it becomes cerebral. What you're talking about is relational um, it's pretty radical, but it also is about apprenticing. Mm. It's it's really leaning on the people inside your church, trusting that they actually know something about Amen. Jesus, <laughs> and 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 the, the, you used the word earlier about confidence, just just calling confidence out of people. What you have been learning since you were a kid that that deserves to be passed along. So we kind of end where we started with uh, apostolicity, which is. Yeah. Which, which is uh, it's that that idea that what we hold has been given mm. to us to pass forward yeah. because Jesus, who was sent by God, is still with us, is still out there welcoming and advancing the kingdom of God, still exposing life and defeating death, and Jesus will not stop Amen. until Amen. the kingdom of God has come on earth as it has in heaven. Amen. Amen. Paul, this was. I, I knew it would be brilliant. It's even better than I expected. Thank you for this conversation. Yeah. It needs to be one of those that we pass around in Amen. our in our circles uh, to really cast a vision for what, what can be. Thank you. Thank well, you. Thank you. A deep honor to be with you, Carolyn and Pierce. And thank you for this opportunity to share both my heart um, yeah. and hopes uh, as we all yeah. move forward together yeah. for, for Amen. the glory of God. Amen. 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 You know, Carolyn, one of the things that I have, I loved about this conversation. I mean, deeply, deeply loved about this conversation. One, I got to got, got to spend more time with Paul, get to hear his heart some more on and off the recording. And, but I will, I will lay my cards on the table and say, I have been hesitant to want to talk about the Methodist, UMC, GMC things that we have all been walking through the last, you know, few years um, on our podcast. And not because, I think part of it was because everybody's talking about it. And um, so one, there's that. Two, there's a lot of hurt around it. And I didn't want some, I didn't want to do that again. And, and so, you know, you were really strategic in asking, you know, Paul to be the guy and, to bring this conversation. Yeah. And what I love about how he talked to us and talked to our audience and just as us, us as a community about this was like something I had never heard before. He came at exactly. it. He came at it from a completely different place. And and right. and I and that means a lot for so many reasons. But one, like, I mean, you swim in these waters way deeper than I do. Um, you've been a part of leading this. You've been a voice for this Methodist movement globally, and and so I've been able to see part of it through you. But then moving to the Woodlands Methodist Church a year ago, right? Like that's a that's a different level of engagement, and and so we've been through our own journey. All that to say, I've never heard it talked about so well as how Paul brought it to the table. I would completely agree, and you know, the, the, this conversation wasn't a conversation about contention or contentious Correct. issues or or what we've all already been through. That really wasn't our point in bringing any of this up. I wanted to hear someone cast a vision, and that's what Paul did. Exactly. And so I, I hope this podcast makes the rounds among those who are trying to discern what is next after 
um, they move through the discernment process. That's that's my heart yep. because you're exactly right, Pierce. What he described in that um, in that those first couple of I guess those first twenty minutes or so, in terms of how Christ Church discerned their future. And, and how he rooted it biblically, and it's just something deeper than the sort of the practical. Um, or, or it was just beautifully, beautifully stated. And so, um, folks, use it, pass it around, yeah. help people to catch a vision like Christchurch has caught. There are statements. I just want to read some of these statements again. Phrases that Paul used. He has such a gift for accessing the full range of language in order to, to to really help us hear his heart. Things like the primal pulses of Christianity. What a beautiful phrasing. And it just draws me back. Yeah, that's where I want to I want to be back in the church of Acts. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not trying to do a new thing. I'm actually trying to do an ancient thing. Yeah. Um the, the church engaged in a power not her own. Hmm. That was his a way of him talking about the supernatural. Um, uh, he, he talked about the depth in which Jesus describes his mission, the mission that is the binding up of broken hearts. He, he said this. This was my one of my favorite lines of all of them, and there are a lot of favorite lines here. But the Great Commission is doable. Don't you love that? Come on. I, I just, the Come Great on. Commission is doable. <laughs> yep. Um, because it is the supernatural power of God flowing through the power of the Holy Spirit. He he just, he, he defined missions as communion with Jesus mm-hmm. and revelation of Jesus. Those two things paired together, communion with Jesus and revelation of Jesus. And then he talked about rekindling confidence. And he reminded, he was reminded in the middle of t- talking about that, of people he met in persecuted countries and how much confidence they have. Um, he, he saw such confidence there. And so what will it take for us in our culture and in, in our context to rekindle our own confidence so we can watch God honor his gospel? Man, just so many good lines. Yeah. Great I, conversation. Yeah, I would encourage you to go back just in case you missed it. Our conversation two weeks ago with Max, who Wilkins, mm-hmm. who leads a, a missional organization, TMS. Yeah. Um, I, the pairing of these two conversations back to back. I mean, Scott, Doctor Scott McKnight's in the middle of it, obviously, but these two conversations paired together is is some real beauty. And yeah. uh, I would love for you to go back and listen to that. Well, my yeah. friends, it is so good as always to be with you. We pray as always this was a blessing, so you can be a blessing to others. This is a New Room Network podcast. We hope to see you at New Room Conference this year in the Woodlands, Texas, at the Woodlands Methodist Church. Um, Be blessed. We will love you. We see you. And uh, talk to you soon. Go tell people about Jesus and who you think he is. There it is.